Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. everybody and welcome to another episode of billy joel a to z continuing the letter l and for today l stands for laura laura is a five minute and five second song and the second track of billy joel's seventh album the nylon curtain laura was released only as the b-side to pressure released on september 1982 there is a rare live version of Laura that can be found on the 12 Gardens live album, which is where it lies. Nobody ever talks about this song. Nobody ever thinks about it, but it does exist. It's interesting. And so the question is, Alan Altman, what do you guess Christopher Bonanos places the song, the very interesting song, Laura, out of 121 songs? Well, I think Billy Joel never goes wrong when he does a song about a person's name. So I'm going to think that Christopher Bonanos puts this at 34. Oh, my goodness. You are good. 37. <laughs> All I mean, right. Basically, I could have just told you you got it right. <laughs> it was actually rude of me to just say I should have just said it was 34. Just be like, you got it. Yeah, just lie right. to me. It makes me feel better. Every You're single only... episode, I'm like, wow, how do I keep nailing it? <laughs> His blurb is a highly conflicted mom song. And the darker counterpart to Rosalinda's eyes as it gets at the crueler, more difficult side of Rosalind Joel. Another Beatles tribute to this one, a gesture to the magical mystery tour era. Glenn Gamboa, out of 124 songs, has a completely different vision of this song and places it at 70. And he says the same thing, really. A Beatles-themed therapy session about working through a toxic relationship with your mother. He doesn't say with your mother, but we added that in because now we know. Yeah, it seems very obvious it's about the mother. Apparently, people didn't know that at the time, but it definitely feels like a, a conflicted mother-son relationship. Alon, I didn't know that until yesterday. Well, there you go. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no... when I fir First of all, when I first heard this song in 1982, I remember exactly where I was. Yeah, I had the nightlight curtain, and I was all into... Allentown and pressure and those and, and remember this track is the second one after Allentown I mean this whole album is strange I mean it's really good but it is it is definitely you know when you think of it, a song like this it was a departure from everything when you're listening to Allentown even though when again when you're young and you're like I love this song I love this song and then you're like oh wait a minute this is a sad song you know <laughs> and they're like pressure I, mean, I love this song i love this song and they're like wait this is a really sad song you know like about yeah. <laughs> and then laura's right in between the two hits and it's such a 
a strange song and in your face. And let's just say it. I mean, I'll never forget when me and my friend Danny were, were like, when he used the, when he dropped the F bomb, that was shocking. Yeah. Billy Joel pulling no punches. He finally said in 1982, I'm just going to become an R rated artist. And that is why I am absolutely surprised and intrigued that this is not about a girl. I mean, up until yesterday, I would have bet everything I had that this was about a relationship, kind of an all for Lena kind of thing. Uh, a girl that treated him wrong, maybe his wife with the management and everything. I never would have guessed. I just never listened to the lyrics. I mean, obviously, they're right there. The umbilical cord line. <laughs> I guess I could have figured it out on my own. Uh, I guess just the way we listen to it's still rock and roll to me. I didn't know as a, a teenage magazine, you know, all that kind of stuff or the Bo Britton that we always whatever that is. That you know, <laughs> Bo Bridges. Oh, Brummel. <laughs> oh, Bridges. I guess it's another song. I wasn't paying attention to the lyrics. You know, the only one that I'm positive what it's about is We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> that one's about his dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one I didn't know. I just thought he was very angry at a girl named Laura. And when he said, here I am feeling like a fucking fool. I don't know anybody that wasn't just blown away and being like, what? Is he what's the matter? What happened to this guy? Now, hearing that line, was that as exciting for you as hearing the sit at home and masturbate line? Huh? Now, that's a really interesting, interesting question. Well, I think it was much more. It was much more. Well, you know what? You're right. I guess interesting. I was going to say much more shocking. But I guess I guess you're right for somebody who's used a lot of cocaine references, uh, a masturbation line and and a, and a bunch of other stuff, I, I guess it's not that big a deal for him to use the F word, except just, you know, nobody, nobody uses that in songs. I mean, ever, I mean, it's just, uh, it's something that's not done. I mean, maybe it's done more in rap and stuff, but this was Billy Joel. This was, uh, you know, not, I wouldn't say clean cut guy, you know, he's trying to be a punk and all that kind of stuff, but the F bomb is, uh, that's, that's messed up. It's a, you know, for a guy that plays, uh, like the uh, the song The Entertainer, we're doing, we haven't got to you, but what he, we, I know the line where it goes, and they cut it down to 305. You know, somebody is mad, but they're <laughs> cutting down his, you know, magic into just uh, so they can play it on the radio. Well, what's cool is that this is a song, like when you hear it, especially after Allentown, when you think the album's going to be one way, and then here's a second song, and it's so much a Beatles song that you're like, holy crap, is this going to be like a Beatles album by Billy Joel? And then in the middle of that song, he drops an F bomb, which is something the Beatles obviously would never do. So it's kind of cool. It's almost like he's doing a modern take on a Beatles record. Well, why do you suppose? I mean, I don't know. Is there any information of why he did decide to put the F-bomb in? I, I didn't see anything about it. Do you know anything? I think it's just that he was trying to be really, really raw with the song. He said he was inspired by John Lennon's song Mother, which is also a really raw song about emotions for John's mother. And so he just laid it all out there. He must have been in a really tough spot with his mom to make this song. Because if she had such a hold on him, he must have really been worried about what she would think after hearing this song. Well, the one thing we definitely learned about this is that Billy Joel is Jewish. I mean, all that, <laughs> you know, angst about his mom. Now we know for sure 
uh, whatever he is, uh, half and half or whatever he is, he's definitely Jewish now <laughs> between him and John Lennon. I guess John Lennon must have been half Jewish, too. Why are these people writing songs about their mothers? What the hell's the matter? What's going on here? <laughs> having Dave, a rock and roll. <laughs> Dave Jeskow needs a song called Rhoda. Oh, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave Jessica must write a song called Rhoda. Of course, you know, usually I just sing, sing the theme song to Rhoda, the TV show. My name is Rhoda Morgenstern. New York, this is your last chance. That sounds like get it right the first time. La 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 la. Rhoda, 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 Rhoda. So I did some research on his mother, Rosalind, who apparently is not named Laura. <laughs> I like maybe he doesn't think his mom's too smart. He's like, what if I just change the name? She'll never know. I can just deny <laughs> this is ever about her. Uh, so his mother was born in Coney Island. That's interesting. She uh, is an English Jew and she grew up in the Flatbush area of Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, his dad left home. She had to raise him and his adopted sister on her own. She had drinking problems. She would disappear from the house for long periods of time. Ah. And as an adult, his adopted sister, who's really his cousin, barely ever talked to Billy's mom anymore. So they had a really bad relationship. But Billy always, I think, felt, you know, to his mom. He, I think he still uh, obviously had a loving relationship, but also a conflicted relationship. There is a problem when... Uh... I'm going to tell you from experience, if uh, one of your parents doesn't care for one of your siblings, it affects the entire family dynamic. So my dad didn't care for me, and that affected all of our family dynamic growing up. So that's the thing. Yeah. So if uh, his adopted sister didn't care for the mother, that just affects everything, affects the whole family. He probably blames his mother for marrying such a loser because that's what you do when you're, you know, until you're about 40. And I don't think he was 40 when he wrote this. No, no. He was only 33. Yeah. So until you're about I, I have this theory that you have to you be it really takes that long. About 41, 42. You, you must no matter how you felt about your parents, you must forgive and move on. You don't have to forgive them in like person. But you have to forgive in your mind and move on, because otherwise you will just be tortured for the rest of your life. There's nothing you could do about it. You have to say, yep, I my parents weren't that great. Uh, but I, I can't worry about that now because then you will be tortured for the rest of your life. And, and that's how long it takes. I, I think I'm being, you know, nice about 41, 42 is where you have to make the decision. Well, it's interesting is that his mom only died in 2014. She was 93 years old. Well, we had spoken about the fact that he never really talks about his parents very much. The, like, he, he, you know, there's no talk about they don't you know, we don't see the, him with them at the shows or anything. We had spoken about that at an earlier podcast. I was always confused about that. I didn't know his dad took off. That's interesting, but you know that does happen. It makes a lot of sense for very, very angry uh, stuff that he writes about. Uh, that you know that can affect everything: his relationships, his management. His dad leaving home could explain it all, except for the fact that he's just you know, and he got his talent from God. So uh, not not well, his dad. yeah, but also his dad was a, a musician. They did get a piano in the house, although his mother. Uh, takes credit for that she actually the story is that she had a pregnancy scare and she said i'll tell you what billy's dad if i'm not pregnant you have to buy us a piano and they got a piano because she wasn't pregnant i don't i don't understand why like they couldn't afford to have another baby so she was like if we can't if we don't have an actual if i'm not pregnant 
and we don't have to worry about having another baby, then I, what I want is to have a piano in the house because you can play piano and it'll be nice. That's the and they got a secondhand piano. I didn't know it was because they couldn't afford it. I didn't know it was a financial thing. I understand now. Yeah. I thought they were like, so happy. You need to, we're so happy we're not having a baby. You need to play some snappy show tunes for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> but I just keep thinking about this song. It's so weird. I, uh, I don't, I mean, how, all right. Has he ever played it? I mean, we know it's on one album, which is shocking. But has he ever played it live, like more than that time on Live Gardens? Yeah, yeah he has, actually. Um, he started playing live just before that 12 Gardens uh, live album came out. So he's played it live five times. The first time he ever played it live was January 7th, 2006, down in Florida. It was the first really? concert of that particular tour. And what's cool is on that concert it's it must have been an amazing show to go to it was the first show of the tour and he said look we're going to be trying out a lot of things we haven't played live ever or in a long time and so on on this concert this, these are some of the things he played so he played laura for the first time ever he played everybody loves you now for the first time since 1997 he played stiletto for the first time since 1998 he played sometimes a fantasy for the first time since 1998 great wall of china for the first time ever who cares zanzibar First time since 1987. Where's the orchestra? First time since 1982. Famous last words. First time since 1999. That's, that's wow. when you want rarities. That's the one show you want to go to. Yeah, that's a hell of a show. That's unbelievable. I can't, you know, when uh, I saw one of the, you know, somebody had a cell phone thing of the, he did it in concert at MSG in 2014. And you hear, the, and you hear, you know, somebody holding up the cell phone and you hear a girl in the background going, oh my God, I love this song. <laughs> yeah, which I, I didn't think I was going to hear from anybody. I assume people would be like, oh, no, not this song, because that's be what like, I would oh, have bathroom said. break. Yeah, exactly. I would have said that, except I probably would have stayed to hear him say the F word. <laughs> yeah. And actually, at the beginning on that night at that 2006 show, he says before he starts singing, Laura, are there parents with young children here? There's a point in the song where I will turn yellow and I'll need you to cover their ears. And then they put a yellow light on him right before he says that line. Oh, that's so funny. That's so cute. Look at him. He gets it. He knows who's coming to the concerts in a way. That's really cool. And think about this. When you know, he was at that uh, college in 96, you know, where I think it might have been the same place where he was talking about James. Is that possible? Right. So he's at, so it, it, and again, same situation. Well, who's Laura based on? Uh, it's not really based on any one person. I mean, this guy's just a big fat liar. He's always <laughs> evading these questions. Always evading the easy ones. Uh, why don't you just say it's about an old girlfriend or something, which is, of course, really, really. But you know what it is? It's because his hero is are the, his heroes are the Beatles. Right. And like they always evade these kind of questions. People are like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. It's obviously about LSD. And they still say, no, it's not. We didn't even realize that those are the initials, which is well, total bullshit. The right thing to say. But you notice that when he's he's playing a little bit of the song or he said and he says the word, but he's afraid to say the F word, which is like funny. I wonder if he regrets putting it in the song at this point, because he definitely must have thought about it a lot. It's like a comic who's doing an old bit when they used to work blue, but now they're like a clean comic. And then they're like, oh, I guess I got to say this this thing that I don't like to say live. Yeah. But I like that Q&A because, again, it's one of these songs that you can tell he hasn't played it like ever. And he's at the piano trying to figure out what the lyrics are. And he pretty much gets it. He needs like a little bit of I think someone in the crowd was jogging his memory on a couple lines. But it's amazing how he can still pull these things out of his head. At, this, at that point, it was, what, you know, 20 years after he had written the song. Yeah. Well, like we said, well, that's why you can only play bits and pieces. I mean, just, you know, get the get a computer 
<laughs> and pull up the songbook. I mean, it's why does he have that huge binder? Of course, I guess all these things are in the 90s, so. But this one, he didn't even have the binder. He just was, like, figuring it out and remembering it. Yeah, right. It does. It's funny. It's fun watching him. it come to him. Here's something about the album, which I did not know about the Nylon Curtain, is that he said that most of the songs, they, apparently they were, there was some sort of scheduling, throwing for time. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Uh, he, you know, with the record companies, you know, they demand an album at a certain time. And, he, you know, I'm sure he had a, a deal once a year he had to come out with a new album. And, they, you know, they give you an advance and all that kind of stuff. And he had just gotten into the motorcycle accident. So it threw off the time. And he said that most of the songs on the album were written in the same sequence in which they appear on the album. Oh, cool. So it's just kind of weird that you write Allentown and then you write. I guess that's why Laura isn't. Because Laura feels like it should totally be on the second side, buried at the end towards where's the orchestra. So for it to come in second, right after the big, major, top five hit, you know, I they release, I remember correctly, they released Pressure first and then Allentown because I guess they knew Allentown for some reason, maybe they knew it was going to be bigger. You know, you re- release a... A lesser song first, see what's 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 happening. You need to put it out there. So it was definitely pressure, Allentown, and then you know I think there might have been a third one, but yeah, it's weird to have the the first song in the album and then this dark song about your you know who knew your relationship with your mother with the F word in it, and then going to pressure. Really, don't you think this song? If they didn't clearly write it in this complete order. Wouldn't you have put this song as the seventh or eighth track on the second side, right? Yeah, definitely. It belongs back. I mean, because it should go next to like Scandinavian Skies. They sound similar. They're both so much in that psychedelic Beatles. Yeah, it should era. absolutely go. I, I don't know. Oh, right. And then you have Goodnight Saigon, too. Right. So, oh, God, what a dark first side of an yeah, album. But, whole but, album. Yeah, he's but, really... but again, all explained by the back cover, which we've talked about when we talked about Allentown. Uh, the back cover, him with the beard and the coffee cup and the stuff. It's all, it, it was very, for me, I remember seeing it, it was very telling that there was a difference from certainly uh, glass houses. <laughs> it was like, well, this guy yeah, really grew up fast. Jesus. He was wearing a leather jacket and throwing rocks at people's houses. The hell is this? <laughs> hey, he's in between wives now. He's he's a dark man. Well, he looks like he's 55 in this thing. You're saying he's like 32. I mean, it's just, what a change. He's just still a kid. I don't know how you write an album like this back then, but again, he's Billy Joel and still kicks ass. He does. You you know what the weird thing is, Alon? What? Uh, Is is that I don't know what it is, and it's obviously this time period, but (laughs) around the Allentown time where we did the thing, there's another thing that happened between Billy Joel and the soap opera General Hospital. It can't be true. I swear to God, during this time period, when this song was out or the album was out, there was another song called Laura (laughs) by Christopher Cross called Think of Laura. And the only reason it was successful, because it was not a hit, was because they put it to Laura from General Hospital. Remember Luke and Laura? I was telling you all about how powerful oh, that yeah, was. Sure. And so Laura was uh, leaving the show. Whatever the case may be was happening. They put this Christopher Cross song, Think of Laura, on this uh, on her, and it just went crazy. And a lot of people <laughs> thought it was the Billy Joel song, <laughs> that it was, that it was ba- Billy Joel based his song, Laura, on Luke and Laura from General Hospital. 
<laughs> it's possible because maybe he just thought that name sounded good for a song. Because no, 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 no. He wrote this name. before that happened. But she was already a character on the show. He might have been aware that there was this Laura character. Well, that's true. That is true. But yeah, it's just funny. At the exact same time again, this uh, this General Hospital keeps coming up around this album. It was when this album was released. General Hospital was the hottest <laughs> there was. And they had a different song, Laura, where he's probably like, God damn it. Taking a <laughs> if only he wrote some normal lyrics to this song, they could have used his song. Exactly. That's right. got that's some right. That sweet, sweet soap well, opera money. But that's a thing. I bet you he was second guessing after this guy, like they, the general hustle was looking for a song with the name Laura in it. This came out and they were like, why not use Billy Joel's song? He just wrote it incorrectly for what they were looking for. And it would have probably made him another billion dollars that he might not have had to share with Artie Rip because it was a completely separate thing. Maybe. I think they would still have to share those royalties off of that. Even if you're playing it on General Hospital? Isn't, I thought it was just album royalties. Well, General Hospital pays what's called a synchronization license to get the rights to use that piece of music. And that gets split amongst the record label and uh, and the songwriter. Oh, my God. I love that you know that. That is so funny. I thought you were pulling my leg for a second. I forget you know about that kind of stuff. Uh, Dave, what's, the problem is that's a synchronization license. And what happens here is if you're working on the album Synchronicity by the police, then you don't get any of the money. However, yeah, that's, that's a that's double sync, we call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think that Billy Joel was foiled again by uh, General Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Oh, I got one for you. Billy Joel could have been a living legend. I know he is, but let me finish. <laughs> Billy Joel could have been a living legend like Frank Sinatra and Stevie Wonder as the only artists to ever win a Grammy for best album of the year back to back. If not for this person credited for the invention of Yacht Rock. <laughs> Okay, wait, did Christopher Cross win it that year? Yes, again, <laughs> foiled by Christopher Cross. Billy Joel <laughs> could have had the ultimate. The Nyla Curtain was nominated, but he did not win. He lost to Christopher Cross. Sailing? The, the Think of Lord. Yeah, sailing, and that, that is why they call it Yacht Rock, all from sailing. But yeah, Christopher Cross burning Billy Joel again. Oh, ho, ho. yeah, but who triumphs? Yeah, well, Christopher Cross got uh, booked for the Pneumanium on Seinfeld, didn't he? Oh, is that who? Uh, I think he was the me? act that they had booked for their millennium party. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'd go see Christopher Cross in concert. But if you want to read something funny, read his Wikipedia page where it just says. And the reason he didn't make it is because he was too fat and disgusting and people were just disgusted by him. I mean, it really just says that in Wikipedia that he didn't make it because he was unattractive, which makes no sense, because then we are talking about Billy Joel, who, you know, isn't a pretty boy, but uh that, that shouldn't be a factor. If you're good, you're good. Why would they put that on Wikipedia, the poor guy? And why doesn't his management have a change? <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. There must He's be other too reasons. Fat and bald the, the material too. just wasn't good or people didn't care for that kind of music anymore. Well, it kind of reminds me, and I know you'll appreciate the reference, 
of uh, who, who, who was the guy that uh, pitched the perfect game for the Yankees? The fact Larson? Kid? No, the fact. Oh, no, David Wells. Yeah, David Wells. I'll never forget watching that. Uh, the repeat. I mean, I watched it live, but then the repeat and Michael K just going like, and I can't believe it's going to happen. The portly, disgusting, overweight David Wells. I mean, I think he was kinder in his words, but he basically couldn't stop saying this fat tub of lard is about to pitch a, a <laughs> perfect game. I mean, he just kept pointing out his his weight. The, and here we are, the portly, dirty, crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember that. I'm like, what's the matter with people? <laughs> you know, that's going to be in posterity. Why would you do that to the poor guy? But he was right. <laughs> it, was, it made it more impressive. It did. It absolutely did. And plus, I think he was the last guy to do it like high as a kite. Uh, <laughs> like a, like a, he should have been part of the 86 Mets. The guy was so hung over. <laughs> he pitched the perfect game. Yeah, definitely drunk. Uh, Alon, do you have a trivia question for me? Uh, possibly regarding the song Laura. I do. Billy Joel has stated that this song was inspired by John Lennon's song Mother from John's uh, first solo album. But what Beatles song did John Lennon write about his mother? And the hint is the song title is her name. It's, uh, it's not Maxwell Silverhammer, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's his mom, Maxwell. I, well, I don't know why I thought that. Um, I thought I heard it the other day. That's why I, because I'm th I'm thinking of all McCartney stuff. I can't think of John Lennon stuff. That's a good question. And you just got to go through the Beatles catalog. And I can mind. give you an album. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so it's on the White Album. Oh, don't be racist, Alon. That's what they called it. Um, no idea. It's the song Julia. I have no idea how that goes. Julia, Julia. It's Ooh, like that, that sounds awful. Oh my it's God. the only song that John Lennon uh, wrote and performed solo. It's just him on guitar on that song. So I sing the song of love, Julia, Julia, seashell eyes, windy smile, calls me. So sing the song of love Julia. and they let him get away with that huh they let him get away with that for, for a couple more years and then paul said that's it we're dissolving yep. the band exactly well, you can't blame him he's like no i'm gonna do it on my own i know he doesn't talk like that but um, that yeah. would be a proper british accent that's a good one, Alana. I didn't know. I never heard that song, uh, but that's interesting. You know, we should do a Beatles one after this where I haven't heard it. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, this one for the parody, you've got to have something unbelievable. And I wonder, I'm wondering, and I think the audience is wondering if there will be an F drop, an F bomb drop. No, there won't be. I, I'm not doing the part of the song that had a curse word in it. Oh, you're not going to work blue. Won't work blue. <laughs> I want to keep this clean and family friendly. All right. After we've already said fuck several times this episode. <laughs> well, I did. And I kept saying the F where I used it once oh, just as a part of the song. <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> okay. So my parody for Laura is called Tuna Salad. <laughs> Oh, boy. 
you see and i'm sitting there cringing and i'm like God, i hope it's good i'm just gonna say i know you have a plan all right let's do it tuna salad is my favorite lunch never fishy because it's drenched in mayo and the <laughs> celery chunks give a very good crunch oh it is perfect on some white or rye bread, please don't add relish because it's unnecessary. Oh, 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 oh. The only ingredients tuna, mayo, celery. Here I am. No, that's all I got. <laughs> hey, that was pretty good. That was Thanks, much better man. than anticipated. <laughs> because you know, I think I figured you'd have I figured you'd have a one word, but it's tuna salad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love being able to participate. That was fun. We made a really weird song even weirder. We sure did. Yeah, yes. I heard that the tuna salad song is really about his mother. <laughs> Well, the funny thing, it's completely about my mother. That's all she offers anybody when you come in the house. She's the worst Jewish mother ever. We just all she has is frozen bagels and tuna salad. That's all she offers anybody ever. I love that. That's what I would all that's what I would want. If I visited your mom, I would say, Do you have any tuna salad? We should switch bodies like in uh Freaky Friday. <laughs> well, you're just sick of it because you ate too much of it. No, we're just sick of her offering other people outside of us that. I mean, it's just, you know, and the grandkids, that's why they don't care for her. That's all you got. We like. Now, does candy. she already have it in the fridge, or does she say I'll whip it up for you? No, she already has it ready and frozen bagels that have to be defrosted. It's it's an awful selection for a Jewish mother where you're thinking you're going to get, you know, brisket or filled to fish or something. No, we never get offered the even the standard stuff, which I don't really care for. But I'm just saying, we get nothing. She feeds nobody. She's the worst grandmother, Jewish grandmother of all time. Here, Davis, feeling like a fucking fool. <laughs> I'm her machine. <laughs> well folks that was laura if you like our podcast be sure to go to apple and give us five stars we release new episodes every tuesday and thursday so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song follow us on social media at billy joel a to z and give us some feedback did christopher cross deserve the grammy over billy did you know laura was about billy joel's mom when you first heard it did the f-bomb shock you do you think Dave's obsession with General Hospital is healthy? And how do you feel about relish in your tuna salad? Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Zeke.